Little prophets that an idle king, by this still hearth, among these barren crags. I cannot rest from travel. I will drink life to the lees. All times I have enjoyed greatly, have suffered greatly. Vex the dim sea, I am become a name for always roaming with a hungry heart. How dull it is to pause, to make an end, to rust unburnished, not to shine in use, as though to breathe were life. Life piled on life from that eternal silence, something more. There lies the port. The vessel puffs her sail. There gloom the dark and broad seas. My mariners, free hearts, free foreheads. You and I are old. Come, my friends. Tis not too late to seek out a newer world, to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars until I die. Made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Well, if you've never heard that piece of poetry from Ulysses, it's a powerful expression of a man who's known for accomplishing incredible great things as a king. He's a king who went and did the Battle of Troy and was responsible for the mighty defeat of the Trojans. And yet, he then wanted to go home. A man who was known for what he conquered, what he accomplished, what he'd overcome. And that short journey home, to get home, to get to port... All of a sudden, the gods put him on a trial. And Homer records this in his Odyssey, that it was the Greek and Roman gods who had him on a 10-year journey to what had only been a few months to get home, where he battled cyclopses and he took on the sirens. And yet when he arrived home, he found he couldn't rest. His life had been filled with so much adventure and so much battle and so much accomplishment, he didn't know how to slow down, how to enjoy how to actually be quiet in the moments of rest. And I think his journey can often be our journey. That like Homer said, we're all on an odyssey. But we're on an odyssey to find a pace and a port that helps us navigate the different seasons of life. And there's times we need to battle, there's times we need to to be strong, and there's times we want to go fast. But we also need a pace of knowing when we can rest, when we can love, when we can listen. And when we can slow down. And Ulysses had this ability to go fast and to conquer, but he didn't have an ability to slow down. In fact, it was dull to pause and be an idle king. So today we're going to look at how to find a pace that can actually move with the different seasons of life. So you can slow when it's time to slow, go fast when you need to go fast. And how that ultimately comes from a central port. What is the core 
home base of your heart and your soul that determines how you react to the circumstances in your life. Because let's face it, everything in life has a tendency to go up and down and not be, be particularly certain. We need an anchor for our soul of something that is guaranteed that everything anchors to. Something that brings satisfaction and rest during times of uncertainty. To do that, I'd like you to hear a story of my friend Scott. So Scott attends Horizon with his wife and family. He's uh, been on his own spiritual odyssey for many, many years. He's the COO of Cold Jet. I'd like to give him a warm Horizon welcome. Scott, come on up. Well, thanks for being with us today. Well, I mentioned a little bit about the seasons of life. And tell us about uh, yourself and some of the unique seasons of ups and downs that you've been through that God used in your life. Well, my spiritual journey uh, really began in the uh, early 2000s, a few years after our triplets were born. Um, I was very self-focused, very motivated in my career. Um, my priorities were career, success, money, uh, probably uh, um, those were the things I focused on, very much self-absorbed. Uh, Somewhere down the line was my family, and God was nowhere on that priority list. Um, but I was very successful in my career. At the time, I was uh, in my um, lower 30s. I was senior vice president of a, of a reasonable, reasonable size, privately held company, uh, reporting to the president. And uh, so career-wise, things were, were looking pretty good. Um, and then we had a change in our company's president, uh, somebody that I didn't see eye to eye with. And uh, even though I didn't see eye to eye with him, I was offered the opportunity. He restructured the company. He, gave, he said, uh, at no cost to me, he would like to give me uh, significant stock in the company. And all I had to do was sign the paperwork. Um, for some reason, uh, well, had I signed that paperwork, within a year the company was sold and it would have been worth a heck of a lot of money. Um, for some reason, uh, I, can, I can sort of guess at those reasons besides not seeing eye to eye with him. There was a non-compete in the paperwork and, and I convinced myself that or for whatever reason, and I look back now and I say, God stopped me uh, from signing that paper. Um, and when my boss found out that I didn't sign uh, the stock agreements, uh, he fired me and told me that I, I must not want to be on the team. I'm not a team player. So having the most important thing in my life, which is my career, taken from me, um, uh, and I found myself going from a senior executive position, nice salary, could have had a lot of stock, to... Uh, unemployed, on the street, looking for, for my next uh, paycheck. And I was very much in a depressed state of mind. Yeah, and it was that journey, even though God had not even been on your radar, not something you're interested in, uh, you start networking, and there, suddenly, you find a port. And the port had been priority one, two, and three used to be just career, nothing wrong with career, right. but God was like, way down even on the list. So how did you come to find that spirituality and God specifically could be any part of your life, let alone the central port of your life? Right. Well, um, even though I was depressed, I was still highly motivated, uh, career-oriented, so I began to network like a madman. 
Uh, and I met many people during that seven-month process before I got another job. But one of the guys I met with, uh, his name is Mike Marker. Some of you may know him. He attends Horizon uh, Community Church. And he was different. Um, Mike actually showed keen interest in, in me and my situation, my problems. Um, he would even call me a couple of times and, and invite me to breakfast and, uh, uh, and just offer advice where, where he could. But he showed this level of interest uh, that no one else did. And I can assure you, if you've ever been in that situation, no one goes out of their way to spend time with somebody who's unemployed and, and uh, networking certainly not like Mike did. So at some point, uh, Mike then asked me to join a Bible study, which I reluctantly agreed to, uh, not because I wanted to learn more about the Bible or God, but because I had genuine, I liked Mike, and I respected him, and so I said, I'll do it. Uh, So the Bible study went well, it was interesting, and uh, he invited me to start meeting on a regular basis. So for over five years, because I was so hard-headed, and uh, uh, he met with me once a week, and, and he was my spiritual mentor from, from zero faith to uh, giving my life to Christ and a total change in my priorities. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, whereas Christ wasn't even on my radar screen, uh, it became a clear change from God is first in my life, my family is second, and although I want to do a very good job, and I think I do a good job at work, uh, that's third on my priority list. And I, I've um, taught a lot of Sunday schools since then. Um, I am a leadership position in a Christian men's group, and um, I've mentored four other men uh, just like Mike mentored me. Mm-hmm. So really a big, big change in my, in my life's priorities. And how did, you know, so you found God, God's not part of your life, how did that then manifest itself? Because uh, obviously career and money and success are still good things, and how did God bring those back into your life in such a way that now that he was the central core, you could actually better um, maybe enjoy them without being controlled by them? Yeah. Well, uh, when I finally did get a job out of that networking experience, it was actually a miserable uh, experience for a few years, but... um, I learned some things there that I had to learn in order to get what then became my ultimate job as God presented this to me, uh, an opportunity to have the exact position I wanted with the exact company I wanted, which was COO of Coaljet, which is a, a, a privately held, rapidly growing, profitable, very international manufacturer of proprietary equipment, which I've been there for uh, over 10 years. Um, it's just the difference, uh, again, I, I still try to do a very good job, but uh, the difference is just relaxing and knowing that life is not always perfect. I've had business issues, I've had family issues, but um, I still have that peace, that foundation that I never had before. Um, so, you know, looking back on the big picture of this whole story, I, I feel like God was in control the whole time, and, and you know what he did uh, took a, an, an arrogant, selfish guy and so- socked him in the gut, <laughs> took away the one thing that was most valuable to him so that I could be open to learning about God. And um, 
uh, you know, to then place me with a spiritual mentor that was willing and able to spend all those years investing in me mm. uh, changed my life. So, you know, what looked like the worst thing that could possibly happen to me at the time, and that's how it felt, I can now look back and say that was the best thing that could possibly have happened to me, and, uh, and God was in control the whole time, even though I couldn't see it. Awesome. Can we thank Scott for sharing his story today? Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it, man. Well, I love, again, what Scott shared about once he found that central port, it helped him navigate the good times and the bad times of seasons of life. It also gave him a new pace. He could still be a hard charger, but he also could slow down. He could rest. He also could go on a date night or be with his kids and actually be with his kids. So I want to talk about how do you find that pace important. Let's start with the pace. I think there's this tendency in your soul when you give yourself over to anything that your tachometer and your speedometer are out of sync for the seasons of life. And we live in a culture in particular that gets your tachometer really, really high. And I don't know about you, but I love going fast. And not just in life. I love doing that on motorcycles. I love doing that on jet skis. I love doing that in cars. And I don't know if you, but you, if you ever redlined a car or redlined a motorcycle, there's something awesome about the sound of revving an engine. You know, whoom, whoom. And you get that line up to 7,000, 8,000 RPM, right? And you know what a tachometer looks like. Put it on the screen if you want. But, you know, a tachometer, really, really high. But some of us, in order to compete, in order to advance, in order to battle, we've had to have our, our RPMs pretty high a lot of the time. And so that engine's like, whoom, 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 which sounds great. But what if you keep it there all the time? You're like, oh, that, that engine's going to blow. Right? I'm not sure that you're made or your soul is made or your life is made or your car is made to stay at 7,000 RPM all the time. And sometimes when you're used to revving your engine that high, that's your pace all the time, your speedometer may go lower. You're at 100 miles an hour, but sometimes you slow down to 20 miles an hour. And though you're moving slow, your engine is still... You can't slow when it's time to slow. It's date night with your spouse, but your RPM 7,000 RPM, thinking about everything except this moment. Your son or daughter says they want to talk, and you say, make it quick. Because i got a lot of stuff going on. And part of what inspired this talk, as I've been sharing, is part of just all the unique circumstances going on um, in my life recently, and this week is far worse even than the previous ones. Uh, my wife's going to need to redo her surgery, and I have three caregivers all hospitalized in the same week. I mean, just, it's surreal what's happened in the last seven days. So, RPM-wise, whoom, and oh, my, fix this, battle this, respond to that, change that, organize that. And so, as I was investigating over the last couple months, just my own soul, I came across a condition called hypervigilance, which is kind of a, a sub-symptom uh, of PTSD, which I always thought was military-based, but parents of autistic children, especially these children, sometimes have this or just other circumstances. And hypervigilance is exactly that. It's the idea that my RPM is so hit, I'm responding to things that are going to happen or probably going to happen. It's, it leans into paranoia. I wish it was paranoia because that means it's not really going to happen. <laughs> it's not paranoia, but it, it's what's the next thing that's going to happen? And it's this tachometer is out of line with your speedometer. And so I've been learning in my own soul how to how to slow my tachometer down to meet my speedometer. 
In fact, I went with my father to Sturgis many, many years ago, and it's a big motorcycle rally, and, and so he goes almost every year with a group of guys, and, and they have a classic example of this. They have the, the, the great American burnout, and so they have all these Harley Davidsons up against a wall, so they're not moving. They're literally up against a wall, and they say, ready, set, go, and every motorcycle just guns it. The wheels are spinning, and there's like dozens of these things going, and the goal is to be the first one to blow your tires. So imagine everyone lined up against the wall. Whoa, 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 whoa. Speed zero, wheels spinning. Whoa, pow! And they blow up, and that's the guy who wins. And many of us don't realize it, but the pace we've been running, we don't have a pace for life that can navigate the seasons of life because we don't know how to slow, we don't know how to rest, we don't know how to love, and we don't know how to listen. And I think Ulysses gets at this very thing in his poem. He has just conquered Troy. And then in the Odyssey, he's come against the Cyclops. He's come against the Sirens. He's now home after a 10-year journey. And look at his words. It's now like time to retire, time to rest, time to relax after everything you put up with. And he says, little profits that of an idle king. There's nothing good of being idle or of resting. No, he's addicted to production and to accomplishment and to winning. By this still hearth among these barren crags, I cannot rest. I've got to be traveling. I've got to be moving. I've got to be accomplishing. You know what? If I just rest, if I just retire, I'm going to be nothing but a name. The king who used to do stuff, who used to accomplish things. Oh, it is dull to pause. See, he had a pace for life for winning battles and conquering cyclops and overcoming great things, but he did not have a pace for life to rest and to love and to enjoy and to sit. There's another Ulysses in history, an actual historical account, a character named Solomon, and he had a similar journey. He was great at winning and accomplishing and building up, but he was not particularly good at resting. He's writing in his journal, Midlife. It's called the book of Ecclesiastes. And he's writing about the secret to life and this journey he has to somehow figure out how to rest and how to find purpose beyond just more. He says, to everything there is a season. I need a pace for the different seasons of life. And I don't know how to have a pace when things slow down. He says, I have noticed there's a time for every purpose under the sun. And I've noticed as you look at life, there are different seasons. And he mentions a few of them here. There's many more. A time to be born. There's also a time for grief and a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's also a time to pull up the things you've planted. There's a time to kill. There's a time to battle. There's also a time to heal. There's a time to break down things. There's a time to build things up. There's a time to weep. It's hard to weep when you're at 7,000 RPM. It's time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, but there's also a time to dance. And notice he begins to sing, saying, everything under the sun, that your pace is determined by whatever your port is, whatever you put yourself underneath. You're under something. You're under the authority of accomplishment, under the authority of your kids being obedient, under the authority of got to be a good spouse, under the authority of I've got to have a certain number, a certain title. Whatever you've put yourself under, that's your core value. Whatever you call yourself, Christian, Buddhist, spiritual person, whatever, it is really irrelevant to what you really live for or are under. 
And whenever you put yourself under something, even a good thing, it will drive your RPM that you won't know how to rest in the seasons of life. What do you think you're under the authority of? What's the central thing that determines your pace? HBO's got this series, it's called uh, Silicon Valley. And in Silicon Valley, he actually describes uh, several characters who just are so under the authority of competing. Compete, compete, compete. Nothing wrong with competition. But he's so under the authority that everything in his life is seen through the lens of competition. It rules him. It keeps his RPM at 7,000 RPM. Because everything's about competition all the time. Enough that he, right before a meeting to his competitors, he just, you know, if I don't do this well, you know, my whole career is on the line. He's throwing up in the bathroom. He comes in to see a doctor and he's like, what's going on with me? And the doctor says, well, it's just your average garden variety panic attack. We see him here in Silicon Valley all day long, dozens a day. Why? Well, he's always competing. He can't rest. If he rests, he loses his edge and everything falls apart. Sarah Wilson, in her book, Now We Make the Beast Beautiful, talks about how entrepreneurs have this ability to take a beast of a business and make it beautiful and make it wonderful and make it really tick. But they're so under the authority of innovating all the time, they can't rest. Because when you're always about innovating, she noted that one of the things that makes entrepreneurs really good at their job is their brains work in such a way that you can see things in multiple platforms at once. You think about distribution and marketing, personnel, the future of the business, the present of the business, the financials of the business, where you've been, where you're headed. And that unique skill that allows you to be good at your job, when you're under the authority of innovation all the time, you can't ever rest because you're always innovating. You're always thinking about the past, the present, the future, this and that. What could we do differently? Because the core of your identity is how you innovate or don't innovate. Many of us are under the authority of productivity. I certainly struggle with that. And when you're resting or relaxing, you're not producing. So you feel guilty about it or you get it over with to get onto the good stuff. William Booth, who actually started Salvation Army, if you can imagine just the vision. Again, what a good thing. Salvation Army to help people and care for people and, and, and help those who are in, in difficult circumstances. But even in that good thing, he put himself under the authority of productivity and almost destroyed him. His wife wrote him a letter. Now, her vocabulary is far better than mine, so I, I can't even pronounce some of the words that she has. So I'll just tell you that in advance. She writes him a letter to show how she's concerned about this Christian man who's highly productive but he's got his RPM so high he's going to burn himself out. Here's what she says. I was rejoiced to hear of your continued prosperity of the work, though sorry that you were so worn out. I fear the effect of this excitement and exertion upon your health, and though I would not hinder your usefulness, so he's under the authority of usefulness, under the authority of productivity. I don't want to hinder your usefulness, but I would caution you against the injudicious prodigality of your strength. Remember, a long life of steady, consistent, holy labor will produce twice as much fruit as one shortened and destroyed by spasmodic and extravagant exertions. Be careful and sparing of your strength when and where exertion is unnecessary. That's a good wife there. But you see what she's saying? You run your RPM at 7,000, you're not going to live very long. You're not going to have nearly the career of a pace that can allow you to go slow and fast, speed up and slow down. C.S. Lewis was writing to a woman who was a business 
uh, entrepreneur, and she was trying to figure God's will. And he said, you know, sometimes we confuse being under God's authority with being under our culture's authority. And so your American culture tells you you've got to be producing, you've got to be going all the time. No margin, no margin, no margin. We think that's God. He wrote in a letter to her and he said this, Don't be too easily convinced that God really wants you to do all sorts of work you didn't need to do. Each must do his duty in the state of life, in the season of life to which God has called him. Remember that a belief in the virtues of doing for doing's sake, you're under the authority of doing, is characteristically American and characteristically modern. This wasn't what people in all times and all people thought. What feels like zeal may only be fidgets or even flattering of one's self-importance. How often am I busy or producing or have nervous energy simply out of self-importance? That's what Solomon was getting at. What's driving your pace? And you would say, I know this isn't a healthy pace. I don't have a pace for the seasons of life, for the grieving, for the caring, for the nurturing. Well, your pace is determined by your port. What is your central core identity rooted in? And your port is that thing we long for. We all want a home, an identity, a core place that we can find peace for the seasons of life. I want to be able to find peace when things are going well. That's easy. But I also want to find peace when things are going poorly. I will say, when God puts you in the same circumstance over and over again, he's trying to teach you something. And I'm in the almost exact circumstances I was in a year ago. Like I couldn't have orchestrated them if I wanted to. But they've been orchestrated. And I am reacting to very, very difficult external circumstances with a lot more peace. I've realigned my port. Still not happy. (laughs) Still not happy. But my port, my central core and identity is determining my peace, even in the middle of these particular seasons. Look what Ulysses says. Ulysses, who's finally at home, he's finally resting, 10 years finally getting here, he's finally got home, and can he rest? Can he enjoy the time off? No. He says, there lies the port. There it is. We've been waiting for that my whole life. Here, mariners, we can have free hearts and free foreheads. This is freedom. Freedom from the grind. Freedom from the rat race. Freedom from the cyclopses. Freedom from the battles. It's not too late, though. I know we're old. Probably shouldn't go back to war. Probably shouldn't take on Troy again. I mean, we dismantled it. You know what, though? It's the only thing we know is how to go fast. It's the only thing we know is how to battle. Come on, I know we're old. Let's go seek again. Let's just go battle more. Let's leave retirement. Let's leave home. Let's leave the port. All we know how to do is fight and battle. So let's go. Sail another sunset. Go on another voyage. Take on the western stars. And for many of us, because we don't know how to rest, we just re-up and re-up and re-up. And there's nothing wrong being productive. But you may want to ask yourself, what's the port in my life that doesn't allow me to ever rest and enjoy the things I supposedly am working so hard for? In fact, Homer's, uh, Ulysses' story is told in Homer's uh, Odyssey. And in the Odyssey, he also describes all of the Greek Roman gods and the, the myths and the legends and the stories behind Zeus and Demeter and the rest. And one of the characters that's addressed in the Odyssey is that of Atlas. Atlas had rebelled against Zeus, and Zeus decided to punish him. So he punished him by saying for eternity he had to hold up the weight of the world and hold up the weight of the heavens. Maybe you've seen this picture of Atlas. That's why it's called an atlas on your map, by the way. Because this god who rebelled against Thor was forced to, for all eternity, hold up the weight 
of the heavens. I think this is what Psalm is getting at when he says, To everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. You've got something that's holding up the full weight of what you consider heaven, what you consider your core peace. But see, God has put eternity in your heart. And since he's put eternity into your heart, nothing can sustain the heavens or eternity that's temporal, that's under the sun. You can put your marriage right there. Imagine your marriage holding up the weight of your core identity. And you can have a good marriage and you'll destroy your marriage. And you know why? Because your marriage, as good as it is, cannot hold the full weight of the lust. And the, the word lust. The, the thirst your soul has for meaning. You'll crush your marriage if your marriage is holding up your full identity. Your kids. You know how to destroy your kids? Put your kids right there. Have them hold up that your core value, how you determine your life and meaning is determined on their behavior. And they may obey for a while because they're trying to make you happy, but eventually they're going to feel the pressure of holding up, not just trying to be a good kid, but holding up the weight of mom or dad's identity. And they'll eventually rebel against it or just fail you. Put your career there. Put other people's approval there. How people feel about me is holding up the full weight of who I am. If that becomes your central port, guess what? People will eventually get mad at you. You'll eventually not be able to have a real conversation because you so need them to be happy so you're happy. You don't have any real friendships. That is why God is the one thing that can truly hold up the universe and hold up your identity. He's the one thing that's unchangeable. That even as everything else comes and goes and changes and uncertain, He's the one thing, God, that can hold up your identity. He's placed eternity in your heart and He's the eternal thing that can fulfill that void. When you put Him in that place, as everything else comes and goes, you say, but I'm anchored by, I'm satisfied by, I'm determined by, I'm valued by the one who made me. That's what Solomon, he spends years of his life, even as a follower of God, trying to put himself under the authority of riches and pleasure and and honor and building. He tried it all. Here's what he writes, Solomon does, in in the book of Ecclesiastes. I applied, I went on an odyssey uh, with my hand and no wisdom. Education would do it. To see the business that is done on earth. I tried every type of business. Even though one sees no sleeper day. No sleeper day. Go, 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 go. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be the best. And he was. Then I saw all the work of God. That a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. There is nothing under the sun that can satisfy you. That can sustain the weight of your soul. For though a man labors to discover it, it's not lack of trying. Yet he will not find it because it doesn't exist under the sun. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, nothing worth attempting, he will not be able to find it under the sun. Now back in chapter 3, he alluded to the hints of what that port would be that could satisfy him. Here's what he says in chapter 3. What profit has a worker from all that he labors? If you work all the time and labor all the time, but that work never results and you build to enjoy what you have, the relationships you have, the, the peace you have, the time off you have, what good is it? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he put eternity in their hearts. He said, I need something eternal. But more than that, I don't just need a thing. I need a he. I've been designed for a he, a person in my life. I also am designed for someone who can take everything, good, bad, up, down, morning, dancing, 
and whatever comes into my life, I need someone I can trust to take all of that and make it beautiful. Take the bad things that happen. I lost my job. I need someone I can trust that can make that beautiful and I can trust even if I don't know how it's going to work out. I need someone who can make everything beautiful in its time that I can trust that whether it takes weeks, months, or years, someone is working behind the scenes. So what do you think your port is? Not your label. What's your port? What are you under the authority of? Here's how you can find out. What is that thing when it's taken away from you? You're not just disappointed, you're devastated. The whole core of who you are is questioned. Your whole life, this disorientation, if you're not that, if you don't do that thing, if you don't have that child, if you don't have that habit, if you can't play golf, if you don't have that health, what is that thing? Your freedom? Think of it like a trapeze artist swinging back and forth from one swing to the next. And as they're about to swing to the next trapeze, they have to let go of the first. And it's that time of transition that you don't know exactly what's going to happen next, but you know you have to let go of this to get there. Is there something that if you let go of it, you'd wonder who you really were without your freedom, without your house, without your reputation? If there's that much disorientation in you, that's probably your core port. Or think of Linus. Remember Linus from the Peanuts? Your core port would be like this. It's what Linus feels like when his security blanket is in the dryer. (laughs) Who am I? What am I without that? Who are you if we took that port away? You can still be disappointed. But are you devastated? I was talking to a friend who's really a mentor of mine for 20 plus years. She's one of the top leaders in the creative arts uh, area, uh, leading multiple, you know, 100 person teams, one of the largest leadership conferences in the world she did for many, many years. And she said for years she would mentor or do executive coaching with people who would have job transitions or would have, you know, a marriage transition or just have some kind of difficulty happen in their life. And she'd say, you know, you got to remember, you're not your job and, and you're not your marriage as good as it is. And I want you to work toward that. You're, you're, not, you're not your kid's obedience. She said, you know, for years I said that, and I felt like God was asking me to transition, she said, out of her job. And all of a sudden, my good advice sounded very shallow. Because I didn't know who I was if I wasn't the creative arts director of the largest leadership conference in the world. And I suddenly had to wonder if I could practice what I preached. I didn't realize how much this title, how much this identity, how much this experience, people looking for my advice was core to who I was. And it was that time of transition, it forced me, even as a follower of Jesus, to realize that Jesus hasn't my port. I had made my career and my titles and my success my port. So then my kids went off to college, she said. She said, and I was amazed that there's certain transitions there, that the things are not going to be the same. Kids were not going to always be in their room. Family dinners were not always going to be all of us around the table anymore. And I had to purposely let go of that so they could develop. And I had to realize that my identity is not based on all five of us, four of us, around the dinner table. I enjoyed it. I love it when it happens again. It was a great season of life. But I needed a port that would satisfy me when the kids were young, when the kids were old, and when the kids were gone. You can also tell what your port is by what you're willing to twist the truth for. 
And here's how you can usually tell, because your kids will catch you in a lie. I, I've had two people tell stories this week about their kids calling them in a lie. Their spouse was telling a story about, well, you remember what happened last week? I did such and such. In fact, one was a, a family member of mine doesn't want to ask another family member of mine for help. And so as they were telling the story, that it was a building project, and, and my father's a really good builder, and this particular family member um, doesn't want my dad's help, which is fine. But he was building it not to code and not particularly well. And so then nine months later, the inspector comes out, looks at the, the thing and says, hey, that, that really wasn't built right. And the person goes, well, you know, I, yeah, but this one was. And he says, well, yeah, I built that one too. And the kid's like, no, you didn't. Grandpa came over and built that one. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes, he did. I'm not going to ask for help. I've got to be self-sufficient. I know for me, wanting to keep people happy... Often I twist the truth, don't tell the whole truth, don't tell what's really going on, don't tell how I really feel. I'm willing to bend the story in order to keep the port happy. What are the areas you're willing to twist the truth that your kids have called you on or called your spouse on? That's probably your central port. And see, we are all on an odyssey to find a port and a pace that can satisfy in the different seasons of marriage, the different seasons of health, the different seasons of career, the different seasons of life. Do you have a pace and a port that that will navigate you through the different seasons? That's the question. Because God wants to be that for you so that you can slow down and you can enjoy and you can bask and you can relax and you can win. I think the only natural application to this is to figure out what your port is and ask yourself if you want to change ports. Do you want to hear the voice of Ulysses not calling you back to just working harder, but Ulysses saying it's time for a new port, mariners. It's time to to sail again. And then to adjust your pace to your new port. If God is my core identity, not my productivity, not my competition, not my innovation, it's okay to slow down here. Because I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to get it all done. You're not. Adjust your pace to your new port. Do you want a new port? Let me show you that verse again. Adjust your pace to your new port. Here's that verse said. He wants to be your port, not something under heaven. He's the one who can make everything beautiful, everything, the good, the bad, the grief, the horrible. Don't you want someone in your life who you could trust to make everything beautiful? Not that everything is beautiful, by the way, but can make bad things beautiful in its time, in its proper season. He put eternity in your heart. You can come to situations, okay, you know what? I I miss my kids, but I'm not defined by my kids' presence in this house. I love that job. I love being productive at that job, but I'm not defined by that job. I lost that job. I'm currently in a situation I don't like with my health. But I'm going to trust that God will use this. And 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 I've definitely felt that in my life. I feel like God has really clearly said to me, the way I love and support my wife in this season, this time, is going to determine dividends for the next 25 years of our marriage. He's going to make this situation beautiful in its time. But when I respond out of panic and fear, it does not make anything beautiful. Certainly not my own soul. But if I trust him to make it beautiful, he can. There's an article I read recently about a quarterback from the Green Bay Packers, Bart Starr. And the article described, he just died this year. 
that he was known as a man who competed well, but had incredible humility in a world of egos, is how the article went. How can we be high competitors, don't lose our edge, but also be people who know how to rest and have a core value that doesn't make egomaniacs? Here's what he said. Like most kids, I idolized one sports figure or another. However, Jesus was the ultimate role model for me. Regardless of the success I have experienced, and he had lots of it, if you know. He said, but my port was Jesus. And I've experienced, if my life does not exhibit God's love, it becomes less meaningful. He searched for meaning and he had access to all the things that the culture says will bring meaning. But he said, I was only actually able to experience that meaning when it was tied to the port of God's love through Jesus. I would encourage you to find your port. Ask yourself if you need to switch ports to something that's eternal. And with that new port in mind, how would the pace of your life change with this new port? The port that God will provide for you in any season of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way you work. I thank you for being our provider. I thank you for those wonderful words throughout Scripture, the different pieces of poetry of the kings and the warriors and the, and the incredible type A advancers who found peace in you. And they were able to say that and spread that. And I thank you for Solomon's journey. And it was through Solomon's journey that we're able to see someone who tried it all. And many of us have as well. But we need you. Hey, before we're done praying, you just want to pray in your own mind. Just say, God, I need forgiveness for swapping you as my port for something under the sun. Forgive me. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. And I invite him to be my provider and the port of my life. Amen. This great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things, both small and great. There the ships sail about. There is that Leviathan which you have made to play there. These all wait for you. For you to give them their food in due season. And whatever you give, they gather in. You open your hand and they are filled with good. You hide your face and they are troubled. You take away their breath and they die and return to their dust. But you send forth your spirit and they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. Well, we do hope you have enjoyed the Rhyme or Reason series, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week for Father's Day. See you then.